0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: It's a systemic issue. There's there's many many things that will come into changing um, the face and, and the construct of an agency. I think it's going to take uh, a long time, but every bit of progress is, is important. That was the voice of Kim Pick, the executive creative director of ad agency VMLY&R. And there she was speaking about the ad industry here in a new video in a series called The Faces of Our Industry. That's described as a celebration of the diversity within our sector by the ad industry's umbrella group, the Communications Council, which produced that series with sponsorship from Google. From gender balance, diversity and inclusion, there are waves of progress happening across the board, says the Communications Council, and clearly it wants us to know about that. But in her video released on Tuesday, Kim Pick also said this. There's been a... Um huge amount of interest and energy around this at the moment and my hope is that it's not going to go away and it's not one of those things where you have activism for a short amount of time and then it disappears because unfortunately historically that is the truth that every 10 years issues flare up you have a lot of energy and promise around them and then they go away and it goes back to being the way it was before so there does appear to be a new energy that's happening at the moment and I do believe that's going to make a difference. Well, right now, much of the energy she was talking about there flows from the Black Lives Matter movement. Like many other industries, advertising, entertainment and news media are all weighing up what they do, how they work, and whether they're part of the problem or the solution. And here at MediaWatch we'll be looking at how the media are responding to this and what they do to try and counter racism and improve their diversity. And this week, Hayden Donnell looks at how one journalist who was asking questions about racism here in New Zealand got told to look at her own newsroom first, which was awkward, but she did, and then wrote about it. On Monday, The Herald carried a
2: column with a surprising headline. It read, Why I found it so hard writing about racism in New Zealand for The Herald. In the column, journalist Wheeler Fuatai details how a conversation with Black Lives Matter organisers prompted her to abandon an article she'd been asked to write on racism in New Zealand, and instead turn the spotlight back on The Herald itself over its record on race. Her decision might seem unusual or risky, but it's in keeping with calls worldwide for journalists to re-examine their treatment of race in light of the Black Lives Matter movement. Many newsrooms are experiencing moments of harsh self-reflection as a result. In the US, the New York Times underwent a staff revolt after publishing a column by the Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, which called for the government to send in the military to quell Black Lives Matter protests. Dozens of journalists said the column put the paper's black staff in danger, eventually prompting The Times opinion section editor James Bennett to tender his resignation. In the aftermath of the incident, The Times published another column by the journalist Wesley Lowry, which touches on many of the criticisms facing newsrooms over their treatment of race. It accuses The Times and other media outlets of sidelining diverse voices, treating black experience as invalid or biased, and tailoring their content to a wide audience. The Times wasn't alone in facing a reckoning. A top editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer resigned after printing the headline Buildings Matter Too during the Black Lives Matter protests. Editors at other outlets including Variety, Bon Appetit magazine and the fashion and culture website Refinery29 stepped down under employee pressure. Some newsrooms have moved proactively to improve their coverage. In a tacit acknowledgement of its own failure to cover the issue adequately, the Washington Post has set up a dedicated unit covering race in the US. Similar discussions are starting to take place here in New Zealand. Under its new owner, Sinead Boucher, Stuff is looking to set up a section devoted to covering Te Ao Māori, the Māori world. In her column for The Herald this week... Tiwila Fuatai argues that the Herald itself needs to take stock of its role in overlooking, ignoring or perpetuating racial injustice. She sat down with me this week to explain why. Kia ora, thanks for joining me. Hello. Now, your column was published on Monday and it was titled, Why I Found It So Hard to Write About Racism for the NZ Herald. But that headline and that topic wasn't your original intention for that story. So could you just say what you were originally commissioned to write about?
0: Yes. So the original brief was basically a wider stocktake of racism and how it operates in New Zealand. I was asked to look at some of the big organisations or the big parts of society, for example, child welfare, police, uh, how racism continues to operate in those spheres and contribute to inequalities and problems that we have now.
2: Right. And that wasn't exactly the story that you ended up writing. It sounds on the face of it like a good thing for a newspaper to cover, but just why did that topic change?
0: It changed um, because the first interview that I'd land, lined up was with Black Lives Matter Auckland, which I outlined in the column. I suppose it was just a week after the first protest march in New Zealand and I thought they would be a great group to speak to as an anti-racism group. And it changed when they basically said they didn't want to talk to me because uh, the Herald and its coverage was racist and upheld uh, structures of white supremacy. I'm paraphrasing this.
2: What exactly did they say to... I guess justify that assertion that the Herald upholds these structures of white supremacy.
0: They didn't give me examples. They actually what what they stuck to was that they thought that it was inappropriate for an organisation like the Herald to be holding others to account before they looked within their own. Hmm. I thought it was a good idea because it was something that needed to be done, but also I thought it was could be a great story, and I still think it could be a great story if they were to examine their own history and their own coverage and how things operate. I do think that there is a lack of diversity in their newsroom. I also think that we've seen publicly problematic coverage pointed out, both recent and historic. Hmm. So I understand, I, I understand that there is definitely value in doing something like that. I also, from my personal perspective, we operate in, like, sort of the way we're socialised and the way we operate, it's in inherently racist structures. And so for the Herald to not be like that, would it would be an outlier. So when we're talking about organisations like the police or Oranga Tamariki, it's not a surprise to me that they have problems of inequity, lack of opportunity, access, and that they are labelled as racist and you have to work hard to be anti-racist. You have to be the opposite. You, you've got to work against the status quo. I don't think it's a bad thing to stand up and say, let's look at ourselves.
2: And and I guess when, when they pointed that out, you felt that maybe that, Uh, self-reflection that quite hard self-reflection hadn't necessarily been done and that made you feel like actually I probably need to start that conversation
0: yes that's exactly what happened
2: I I actually think back straight to the Paul Holmes column that printed in 2012 that called Waitangi a bullshit day. Uh, In 2014, I think they proudly said that this paper will be protest-free on Waitangi Day, and there's that kind of thing. But you're actually talking about maybe a more insidious systemic participation in Pākehā ways of doing things, white supremacy.
0: It's both, and it's really hard to articulate from a reporter's perspective. So it's a system around why you think it's appropriate to have a column like what Holmes had in the paper or Mm. why you think it's okay to present Waitangi Day coverage with a white fist on the front of your newspaper.
2: And, And I guess the answer to that is maybe, and maybe this is not even conscious, as the editor said in his response to your column, but they are thinking of their coverage as being designed with a white audience in mind and... It's also designed primarily and edited primarily by Pākehā people.
0: Yes, and that's where I think the self-reflection is important because the first step is just to look at yourself, and I think this is what I did when I was challenged by the piece, and I sort of had to say, what can I actually do in this situation? These are the options. And one of them was going back and saying, can we do something different? And in the very first draft of the piece, I outlined what that was like, what was like, what it was like going back to them, mm. and then being told, can you please stick to the brief? And then it sort of unfolded from there.
2: So this was actually quite a wrangle with the editors. So can you describe that process? You went to them saying, look, I think we need to do some self-reflection, and they said...
0: Um, yeah, so I went back to the editor I, 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 I dealt with, and I said, this is what they've raised. I actually think... It's a good idea. I gave an example of National Geographic had done a racism audit in 2018 uh, for their edition leading up to MLK Day. So I said, it's been done in the past. Could, Could we look at doing something like that? That was the first phone call, and we had a bit of a break, and then the second phone call was, please just continue doing what this is. And by then I had decided that I could take the brief and just... Say yes to the brief, sorry, and then outline through my own words why it was challenging to continue mm. down the path that they were asking
2: i guess this is this is personal for you, right like this is you 're a Pacifica journalist you're one of very few people of color that are probably working for the herald there 's not actually very uh, enough Pacifica journalists in the country
0: yes I, it was definitely personal, but also. I suppose what really helped was speaking to those two women, Anjan Raman and Timotha Paul. Mm. When I spoke to them, they kind of outlined the things that they do in their own immediate environment to try and combat what they th- what they see as racism and inequalities, and so I took that back to myself and I thought i can 't actually address The composition of their editors. I can't do that from my position. I can't actually address the lack of diversity in their staff. What I can do is just outline to them what someone like me thinks when they ask an assignment like this.
2: For you that's a really big professional risk because I mean you are a freelancer and and you're not on staff so you must have thought look this is worth this is a risk worth taking.
0: Yes I definitely thought that.
2: I guess you're you're trying to make a difference to one of your places of work. But they they're not alone in this. This isn't just about The Herald. This is a media-wide issue, isn't it? Like there there, there are not enough Maori and Pacifica uh journalists, not enough people of color in general in newsrooms across the country.
0: I definitely agree with that. But I also think part of what 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 is a great thing about The issues and the conversations that are being raised right now through the Black Lives Matter movement is that we do have to take it upon ourselves to reflect and understand our own shortfalls and also uh, who can address those shortfalls. So what worked in this piece was that they came to me, which is... By the way, a great thing as a freelancer, you do want publications coming to you, i um, commissioning you. Like, yeah. That's a really good place to, to to be, is that they came to me going, we want you to do this, we think you're the right person to do this. And so in that sense, I suppose I had a bit of leverage to react in the way that I did and send back a piece like I did.
2: I, I guess, though, you're talking about it quite a small-scale re- interaction between a freelancer and
0: mm.
2: a company. But but they still have a lot of the power, right? The, the editors and the people in charge of the company are the ones that really make these decisions and decide what to publish and shape mm. the news agenda. Is that where really where your concern lies? Because we talk about, like, Māori Pacifica journalists, but actually you note in your piece that all of the editors that you dealt with, I think, are Pākehā.
0: Yes, so all the ones that I certainly deal with are Pākehā. I don't think it should be put on someone like me to try and push people who are in those positions of power towards having a more representative and more wholesome newsroom. I can't do that. And for them to do that as well, they have to understand the value in that. So understand that in 10 years' time, your audience and your readership or your viewers, you want to be right there with them and understanding the issues and the conversations that they're having, and part of that is looking at the makeup of your newsroom. To do that, you've got to understand the value, like I said in the piece, the value in actually diversifying. What
2: would you like to see from The Herald from here on out?
0: I think it would be a really great move for The Herald and and us, because now I'm there talking to them about it, to do a type of examination of their past coverage. Um, I think that's a good starting.
2: You would encourage other news organisations to do that, including places like RNZ...
0: Absolutely. But I also think from audience perspective, like from a reader's perspective, if it's done properly, it'll be a really fascinating examination of a part of New Zealand history. And that's almost like an educational resource when you think about it.
2: Hey, thank you so much for speaking to me.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Hayden.
2: We asked the Herald's publisher, NZME for an interview about Tiwi Le Fuutai's column and what the company is doing to increase its diversity. They declined but pointed towards the statement published below the column by NZ Herald editor Murray Kirkness. Kirkness said NZME formed a diversity and inclusion committee and has committed to accountability on measurements relating to diversity of voice. He said the company accepts Wheeler Lafutai's criticism and will do better. He added, We hope we can be agents of change across society, a role the Herald has fulfilled for more than 150 years. You can read his full response at nzherald.co.nz.
1: Hayden Donnell reporting there. And you can read more details of Te column and Murray Kirkness's response in the online version of the story. That's on the MediaWatch page of the RNZ website or the RNZ app.